Welcome to the South Mims U podcast. In this episode, we're going to do something different. You're going to hear my encounter with a remarkable young woman. Her name is Ellie, and she applied to this university to study, as she put it, anything that takes my fancy. Now, for a start, that set her apart from all the other applicants we normally get. She filled in her UCAS application, which is the form we use here in the UK, and listed her exam results in the normal way. But when it came to the personal statement, well, she took quite a different approach, which intrigued me. So I called her in for an interview, and she agreed to let me record it. Here it is. Uh, hi, Ali. Um, it was nice to meet you. You don't mind if Burkheim sits with us. She's very good when she settles down. Oh, oh, yes, yes, no problem. Berkheim? Well, that's an unusual name. She had me get through my sociology course at school. Uh, dare I ask if uh, she was named after Emile Durkheim? She was, but I thought, how about making it a bit more, you know, doggy? So I tried Berkheim. That sounded a bit too obvious, so Berkheim was better. Oh, she's a sweet dog. And so good, just sitting there at your feet, so quiet. She's very clever. I try ideas on her, or check sentences for essays, watch... Berkey baby, is that a German guy called Karl Marx Webchat? <coughs> no, is it Max Weber? <coughs> okay, well, three barks for wrong and one for right. <coughs> That's right. Incredible. I, I don't know much about sociology, though I did once read a book by Arnold Comte. <coughs> oh, ooh, did did I did I get something wrong? It's August Comte. <coughs> ah, right. Of course. There should be a new breed of helping you pass your exams, dogs. <laughs> that's, that's a good idea, Ali. I know it is. OK, so I was intrigued, to say the least, by your application. I really don't mind what I study. I'm just here for the social life. Oh, not because this is a fine university where you can thrive and fulfil your potential? Yeah, well, that's what the ads for all the other universities say. And it's, um... I know you have a department of slang and swearing, so I guess it's OK for me to swear, right? Swearing is actually good for you, as our department has established. Then what you just said, the part of potential and thriving, it's just bullshit. But as you said, all universities say it. Doesn't mean it's true. No, but it's what everyone aspires to. I don't believe that. Sure, people want to get a qualification, but they also want to leave home, meet people their age, find new friends and start relationships, have fun and grow up without having a proper job, at least. Not until they really need a proper job. Well, Ali, I can see your point, but I really do think that a lot of students are profoundly serious about getting a good education so they can do what they want to do in life. That's bullshit too. Oh, why is it wrong? Because we live in a time of bullshit jobs. Did you read that book? Which book? Bullshit Jobs by David Grieber. No, no, I haven't read it, actually. You should. OK, and by the sound of it, Mr Grieber, Graeber, uh, wasn't impressed by the uh, modern job market, was he? That's putting it mildly. There's another book I just read. It's called Can't Even, How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation by Anne Helen Peterson. But you're not a millennial. No, I'm so-called Gen Z, but the message is the same for my generation as it turned out to be for the generation before mine. The boomers screwed the world and we're paying for it. That's a little um, reductive, isn't it, Ellie? It is, but only because your generation screwed the post-war settlement and created a world where work is fragile, usually with low benefits, few union rights 
often temporary or gig-based, with lower pay and hardly any retirement prospects. That's a bit grim, isn't it? It's what's happening. It's been happening since the 80s. That's not all the boomer generation's fault, though, is it? I mean, Thatcher, Reagan and economists like Milton Friedman weren't boomers, were they? No, but the boomers voted for the policies and put them into place and made them worse and kept voting for them. I mean, come on, Brexit, Trump, need I say more? OK, granted, things are bad. As a university, we know that more than most, but the young aren't listening to people like Marvin Friedman anymore. <coughs> oh, sorry, yes, Milton Friedman. <coughs> the boomers did something else. They became parents. Yes, of course. And your point? Because they'd made the economy a dog-eat-dog. -dog. No, Berkey, I don't mean that literally. They turned it into a winner-takes-it-all meritocracy, in which, if you don't succeed, that was hard luck and probably your fault. So, they then decided that they had to raise their kids to survive in the jungle, and that meant they became hyperactive helicopter parents who overscheduled the hell out of their offspring. They raised kids who were already burned out. Kids who were desperate to get into good universities and who had no actual experience of the real world, like relationships. It meant they didn't have the experience of simply being a kid. They were mini-me's, mini-corporate executives at age 12. They were walking resumes who only did something because it would look good on their resumes and personal statements. And you didn't do that? I did until my parents realised I wasn't playing the game. And they let you stop playing it? They did, to their credit. They have the wisdom to understand when they're losing. You're lucky. So your personal statement, I mean, it's very unusual. It's what I believe. It's me. It's a personal statement. You say, and I'll quote from you, All the hundreds of websites that try to tell you how to speak for yourself are really telling you not to speak for yourself. They say, I need to plan and structure my statement and tell a story. Well, I'm not ready to plan anything. Life can't be structured and my story isn't going to fit into your little boxes. Yes, Berkey, you helped me write that. It's not what I expected to read in a personal statement. What did you expect? I expected you'd tell me why you'd be an asset to this university, what your personal passions are, and where your ambitions lie, and how coming to this university would be the perfect fit for you and for us. Well, I wasn't going to drink that particular flavoured Kool-Aid. I also thought you'd focus on what you've done in your life. I did. Well, yes, but not in the traditional ways. I like to tell the truth. OK, so this is what you wrote. Going to university should not be about making me into a good little worker bee. It's got to be about learning something I want to learn and learning how to be a human being, a grown-up person who can cope out in the world. It's not about merely getting my next CV and personal statement in shape so I can become a drone in some precarious bullshit job. See? Got a bit of sociology in there. Uh, where? Bullshit jobs, David Grieber. Oh, OK, yes. Yes, you did, obliquely. Very directly, actually. But you didn't say what you wanted to study. I did. Read the next part. OK. I want to learn how to be me, and I think spending three or four years at a university, any university, will help me grow and learn not just some academic subject, though I am interested in many subjects and don't want to just learn one thing slavishly, but how to navigate a world that's really challenging for young people because your generation screwed it up. I'm presuming you're a boomer, and forgive me if you're not. If you're not, then you're either really old or a millennial. And if you're the latter, 
You know what I'm talking about. And it turned out you were a boomer. Well, a sympathetic one who was never a helicopter parent, I might add. I'll take your word for it. The UCAS form is extremely strict on word count. Character count. And it's stupid. Well, why is it stupid? 4,000 characters to sum up a real person. You can't do it. It's exactly what a world run by accountants does. Tries to turn people into numbers. Not just collectively, but in their very souls. In their hearts and minds. All you are is what you can get into 4,000 characters. It's stupid and it's cruel. But your statement is exactly 4,000 characters long. I wanted to make a statement. If I could stay within the rules, I can undermine the rules. It just shows how stupid the idea is. Could you tell me all about yourself in 4,000 characters? Well, I don't know. I mean, I doubt it. You could just say, I am me, and I am what I have done. Find out about me by engaging with me. That's 76 characters with spaces, 57 without. And that's all you need? Yeah, and Berkey understands it better than the people who run the universities. Including me? No, because you gave me an interview. Did anyone else? No, they can recognise trouble when they see it. Uh, will you be trouble if we let you come here? Probably, but the good kind. I hope you think differently because my goal is to think differently from other people. It's the only way to get things done. So that's how you decided to sell yourself as trouble? I'm glad you used the word sell. I'm not selling myself, I'm being myself. And you're not buying me. You're agreeing to help me get the education I want. It's not like going into a supermarket and picking the future career off a shelf. It's not a transaction, even though there are fees. Oh, there are fees, Ali. There shouldn't be, but I'm a realist. What I'm saying is that education seems to be about taking little free-spirited kids and turning them into marketable commodities. Self-marketing career bots with little interest in the real world around them. So, as you've said, they only do things so it looks good on their personal statements and resumes, right? Sure. In that book I mentioned, Can't Even, the author tells the story of an American girl who was so determined to stand out in every category that she took up some strange musical instrument. And, when she looked at what sport she'd do, she chose synchronised swimming because she imagined someone at Yale or Harvard would say, My, this one did something unusual. Well, that's what I would have said. Okay, but taking up synchronised swimming when you don't have a passion for synchronised swimming can only really lead one way. Which is? To go out a nervous breakdown. I mean, synchronised swimming is hard. And she ended up with a disorder where you can't stop pulling your hair out. Uh, trichoti... Uh, it's a trichotillomania. That. You end up with girls with a busier schedule than any lawyer or corporate executive just so they can grow up and become an overworked lawyer or corporate executive. Are those bullshit jobs? Increasingly. <coughs> but mostly, all that hard work to get into college and do well and have that killer personal statement doesn't work. Many millennials are working in jobs which don't need the kind of qualifications they work so hard to get and spend so much money on. So your answer is not to bother from the start? No, that's not my answer. You make it sound like I just want to loaf about... Well, I didn't mean that. I want to learn. Just to learn. I don't want to learn because I want a job at the end of it. I don't really know what I want to do. I want to learn about the world, myself, and what I might want to do. That's the point of education. Is it? It might have been when you were young, like a hundred years ago. Well, steady on, Ellie. What education seems to be about is not learning for the sake of learning, but preparing kids to be employees, to work, to have careers, to spend their money on buying stuff they don't need, and then working some more. Isn't that a reductionist view? It wasn't me who reduced schooling into turning out office workers. So it was my generation that did that? Until you can prove otherwise, then yes, that's what I and many of my friends believe. OK, well, let me read some more from your personal statement. 
I was never gifted or talented, and when I was threatened with that label, I refused it. I didn't volunteer to help in a care home because I saw it as a line item in the spreadsheet of my short life. I did it because I liked talking to old people and learning from them, and I hoped they'd learn from me. Now, if I were to be cynical, Ellie... Go on, be cynical. I'd say that you were being very clever with that set of sentences. You can see that in any way you want. I meant it sincerely. Actually, Ellie, now that I've met you, I know you did. Let me read some more. I'm not going to use the word passion because I don't really know what I'm passionate about yet. I don't know if there's a dream job out there, and besides, very few people ever get one. <coughs> I accept that my job might not be my passion, that it might be just an okay job that pays the bills. What I really want is to learn for the sake of learning. So I won't pretend that I've read all the books you expect me to have read. I only read the books I want to read. Again, that's just the truth. And the truth is what a personal statement should be about. Indeed, and yours is the first really personal statement I've ever seen. I don't want to fall into the trap of looking for that dream job, which in many cases is only a dream job because other people think it's cool and has a high cultural status. They can be the worst kind of jobs because so many people want them and that means you get exploited. Indeed, our sociology department did a project on that. People want to work in journalism or TV or films or, or tech and they end up working as interns for nothing or being forced to go freelance or join the gig economy when they're not suited to that kind of precarious existence. There's a word for that. The precariat like in proletariat, but the proletariat actually had unions and jobs with some benefits. The precariat live life on the edge. They're precarious all the time. And that makes them depressed. It does. Perhaps that's something you could study. Precarious studies. Yes, the effects of not having a structured job in which you know what the benefits are and you feel solidarity with other workers. Kind of job you have. Yes, though in academia the precariat is growing. I mean, in many universities, especially the more prestigious ones, graduate students have worked hard for a pittance in the hope that they might get one of those prize jobs which offer tenure. Tenure is when you can never be fired, right? Exactly, though uh, there are circumstances when you can be fired. <laughs> like if you're a racist or a Nazi or try and molest your students, right? Yes, but that doesn't happen here. You're not prestigious enough. Very droll, Ellie. I want to do a mix of subjects. How about rejection studies? We don't do that. Um, what is that? The study of the effect of rejection, like when you don't get jobs or can't get an audition, or your novel is turned down, or a girl or boy doesn't want to date you. How do you cope and what can you learn from it and move on? That kind of thing. Brilliant, yes. Well, we'll let you study that, Ellie. Thank you. So, I'm accepted. Uh, sorry, no, uh, you're not right for this university. Oh, uh, well. <coughs> only joking, only joking, Ellie. And Berkheim, only joking. We we'd love to have you here. Thank you. Thank you very much. <coughs> well, that was the interview. I really don't think I need to add anything to it. Ali is right. Learn what you want to learn because you want to learn it. That's what education should be about, and it's what we believe here at South Mims U. Please check out our other podcasts where you found this one, and keep learning. Goodbye. Goodbye.